If you want to turn to Jonah chapter 2, I want to start today with a prayer, and it's a prayer that is actually written as a poem, and this poem is about 2,500 years old. We'll actually start in chapter 1, verse 17. It says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Ew. To the roots of the mountain I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you... Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Last summer, I had the opportunity to go on a deep sea fishing trip and got real close and personal with the story of Jonah. Uh, but went to the, out to the Pacific Ocean, left San Diego. My wife and kids didn't want to stay in Phoenix while I was out on the boat, so they came out and we stayed a couple days in San Diego. And the day before I went out on this boat, on this deep sea fish, fishing adventure, uh, we decided to go to the beach. It was quite an eventful day at the beach. I got stung by a stingray. It was terrible. Um, I survived. I have a scar on my foot to prove it. It was gnarly. Um, but something happened that day on the beach before my, my, my trip on the boat um, that kind of like will leave an imprint on Marcy and I forever. We were sitting there, and we have four kids, our two boys, Mike and Ezra. At the time, they are nine and five. They're a year older now. Uh, we're playing in the ocean, riding waves, and there was a really strong riptide. And I, you know, have grown up going to the ocean and know, like, riptides are strong. They just can yank you out into the ocean. And so we're, like, kind of keeping an eye on our boys. And at one moment, we looked away for, like, two minutes. We can't find Ezra. And I didn't think much of it. Um, but after, like, Marcy went out to look for him, it came back, and she was panicked. And she was like, I have no idea where Ezra is. We can't find Ezra. And it, I went from those moments where I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to be the non-anxious presence here. He's probably fine. He's probably ran off down the beach somewhere or something. And I kind of like walked up and down the beach and couldn't find him. And as, the longer you go without being able to find your child, if you've ever felt that moment, um, it's, you start to get anxiety boiling up. And usually, you know, we've lost children before. We're good parents, I promise. We've lost children <laughs> at different places with crowds. And you're like, you know, the, the fear is like, oh, I hope someone didn't take them. And so you have this weird fear. When you're at the ocean, it's not just the fear that they've wandered off or that someone's taken them. The, the fear is of they've, they're in the ocean somewhere. You have a shark. You have drowning. I had been stung by a stingray that day. So all sorts of dangerous things are happening. 
Um, and it goes from this moment of like fear and anxiety, thinking he's going to turn up, he's going to turn up, to like you get to a moment where you're like, where is he? And I remember in in like my kind of my psyche just starting to like, I had like a panic attack, and I just started running up and down the beach, looking for Ezra as far as I could, screaming his name, trying to see if like his head was bobbing up down, if, if his arms were, you know, if he was out in the ocean, maybe the, the riptide took him away. And it, it went on for so long that you start to have this moment like, oh my goodness, like what, what if he's gone? What if this old ancient foe, the ocean, uh, that you, you don't think, you know, it, it could happen so quickly, actually took my son. And I remember like having these gut-wrenching like feelings that turned into prayers where I just started crying out to God, like gut-wrenching prayers of panic and fear and desperation. If you've ever lost a child and, you're, and you have gone through this experience, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's not, nothing can calm you in that moment except finding your child. And, and you know, Marcy was feeling the same way, and it, it just kept going on. The lifeguards came. They called other lifeguards in. We couldn't find them. And, and uh, I, I remember feeling hopeless in this moment. It had gone on so long, and it was so desperate, and I just felt so hopeless. And I had, it, like, not only could I, like, feel my heart, I could, like, hear my heart pounding in my ears, and I could feel it throbbing in my neck. This is how stressed out I felt in this moment. Um, the, the, the end, end of the story, we end up finding him. He's, like, two lifeguard towers down, um, and, and everything was, was okay. He had just, like, wandered off. He had come out of the ocean and was looking for us and went the wrong way. And I remember after all that happened and after the craziness of it and after like crying out and, and knowing that I'm praying out of this desperation and hope, I sit down and really there's a completely different experience that happens that comes with that profound of relief. It was this deep sense of gratefulness to God. Like you go from this emotion of panic and desperation and gut-wrenching prayers crying out but then the, the type of gratefulness that you only experience when you feel like you have lost something that you've loved and you've found it again or that you've had it again. And I remember in that prayer, not only this overwhelming sense of relief, but this unbelievable gratefulness that God had, had protected our son and taken care of him. And I share that story because when, when you read this prayer from Jonah, there's certain things that happen in our life there are certain moments that we experience that create like a transcendent spiritual experience. And it just like ruptures us from our everyday ordinary life. And we have an encounter with the living God. And in that moment, and it's not to say I don't have other moments where I experience God's presence, but you never experience it in, like you do in an extreme situation like this. And when Jonah is praying here, this prayer that's 2,500 years old, he is praying the type of, like, this is a transcendent experience that he has had, where it's like, oftentimes we have this mundane, like, spiritual life. It feels like our soul is ice. This ruptures it, and God's presence comes pouring in. And you have this overwhelming sense of gratitude and relief. The prayer in Jonah 2, I'd like to suggest, is a perfect prayer for 2020. A perfect prayer for where we at right now as a culture. Because there's a sense of desperation. There's a sense of, of longing for God's salvation. There's a sense of, of gratitude and gratefulness. But this is someone who has gone through this great disorientation. And he's experienced God in a way that has reoriented his life. And as we read through it, I, I want to suggest that even as we've been reading through Jonah, 
Um, when, it's funny, when Tyler and I kind of planned this series, we just want to go through a book of the Bible. We couldn't believe how much it's, it just seems to be hitting where we are at culturally, uh, as a community, as a country, where we're experiencing like disorienting, disorienting event after disorienting event after disorienting event. And these disruptions just create this disorientation. I'd like to suggest that in the midst of what we're experiencing, we have this opportunity for this transcendent encounter with the living God. And when we pray, we experience God in profound ways in the midst of this moment. Moment after moment, uh, it seems like every single day something happens that's disorienting. C.S. Lewis, a great author, one of my favorite authors, quote him all the time, um, wrote a book that's really, he didn't write a book, he wrote a bunch of letters that were brought together in a book, a compilation of his letters called Yours, Jack. Apparently all of C.S. Lewis's close friends called him Jack. I never knew that until I saw this book. But he talks about the idea of these interruptions that we experience in life, and so often we don't like them because they create, they break our routine, they create, you know, uh, they break down things that are normal. C.S. Lewis says this in one of his letters to a friend as he's helping kind of shape this person spiritually. He says, the great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own or real life. To stop regarding all these unpleasant things that keep happening as interruptions. He says, the truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life, the life God is sending one day by day. What one calls real life is actually the phantom of one's own imagination. And that's sometimes hard to hear. Like, we, we've, we live in a place where things have gone well for a long time. We don't like to suffer. We don't like to be discouraged. We don't like to be disrupted. And yet, we are spiritual beings that are a part of uh, a, a an eternal kingdom, and that doesn't mean that what we go through in this life isn't hard or disappointing or that we shouldn't feel discouraged, but what we realize is that there's another story that is at place in the midst of the here and now, and it's God's story in our life, which allows us to experience disruptions as opportunities, as moments of transcendent encounters with the living God, if we're open to that, if we're open to what God is doing. Tim Keller calls these severe mercies that we experience. These disruptions are actually these severe mercies where something happens and we feel like, oh, goodness, where is God in this? And yet, in the midst of our disruption, in the midst of our disappointment, in the midst of our suffering, God is at work in our lives. Two things I want to look at in this prayer. The fish and the prayer in Jonah chapter 2. The fish, let's start there. Uh, we've talked about in this, uh, in this whole story of Jonah, there's, you know, some people think this is a literal story, and there's all sorts of science that has gone into proving that there's a fish that could swallow a person. And then other people are like, well, it's more like of a parable, and, you know, they're telling a story, and it's a historical story that the writers are using different. And we get caught up in the idea of the fish. But here's what, what the fish is. This, is. this is what the fish is. The fish in the story of Jonah is God's deliverance for Jonah. The fish is God's deliverance. It tells us two things about the fish. One, that God sends it. And two, that Jonah prays from it. The fish is God's deliverance. And this is hard because we kind of assume as we read through the story of Jonah, like, oh, this, 
the fish is like punishment, right? Like this is getting Jonah back for like walking away from God and disobeying God and running away from God. And yet it says that God sends the fish. And as Jonah starts to pray, we find that he's grateful that this fish came. Because what the fish does is it offers Jonah protection. He's thrown off the boat into the ocean. We don't know if he could swim or not. As he starts to pray, we find that the waves are crashing over him, that he's, he's getting sucked under the ocean, that the seaweed's wrapped around his head. And he's at the point where he feels like he's going to die. And then a fish comes along and swallows him. The fish is deliverance. The fish is protection for Jonah. How often it is in our lives when God uh, disrupts us that we so quickly assume this is a punishment or this is something that, you know, I'm paying the price for something. And so often we miss the idea that God actually might be sending us something that is delivering us from the situation, even though in the moment we misunderstand it. Maybe we misunderstand scripture sometimes where we think that. Maybe we misunderstand what's happening in the lives of other people, and yet here in the story, the fish is the deliverance. It saves Jonah from drowning. And is in the fish for three days, but there's protection. God has provided Jonah a way out from death in this story. There's an old story that Leonard Sweet, the pastor author, tells about Native Americans and kind of rites of initiations for for young men in the Native American culture. He said one of the tribes had this special kind of ritual they would do when a child turned 13, when a, one of their sons turned 13 years old, uh, they would take the, 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 young, the young boy turning into a man out into the wilderness and they would blindfold the young teenager and they'd walk him out into the wilderness, out to the forest, uh, as far as away as they, as they could get. And they would take off the blindfold and tell the, tell the young, young man, you have to survive out here on your own for an entire night, and we'll come get you in the morning. And if you can survive out here for an entire night, we come get you in the morning, and you're alive, you get to become a man. That sound like a good deal? I know like, a lot of 13-year-old boys would be like, that would be sweet, right? But like in the forest, out in the wilderness, there's wolves, and there's bears, and there's wolverines, which if you've ever watched Alone, that show Alone, uh, wolverines are nasty. But... There, there's all sorts of wild animals. There's all sorts of things that can happen to the, to, the, to the young teenager. And so what would happen is they'd march him out there, they'd take off the blindfold, and everyone would leave. And it'd be in the middle of the night, and the, the 13-year-old would have to deal with the, the, the scariness of the dark, hearing certain sounds, hearing wild animals, their superstitions, maybe it's evil spirits. And all night long, the 13-year-old would have to be brave and stay out there. But then the morning would come, and as the rays of the sun would kind of come over the horizon, and all of a sudden the teenager could have a kind of visible of what was the surroundings. What the teenager would find, what this 13-year-old would find, is that they would see the green leaves of the trees, would see maybe even trails. All of the, the, the things that look like shadows or ghosts at night would have an explanation. And then they would see, uh, the, the teenager would see a man standing next to them with a bow and arrow. And it was the boy's father. The boy's father, who had been with the teenager all night long, protecting, watching over that teenager, staying out of the way so the teenager didn't know that that person was there, but protecting. And Leonard Sweet says, so often it happens in life that, that God is there in the midst of whatever we're going through. We don't understand it. Life feels scary. It feels disruptive. It feels challenging. It creates all sorts of anxiety, and yet God is with us the whole time. 
And here in Jonah, this fish is this representation that in the midst of everything that he's going through, God is there and God is protecting Jonah. I mean, we have eyes to see such things in our lives. The second thing that the fish is, is it's a transport back to land. It's a transport that takes Jonah off this, this path of rebellion, running away from God, you know, running away from life, and brings him back on the path of his calling. The, the whale actually is a, a, a transportation for Jonah to go back to what God wants him to do. Not only does it provide protect, protection and deliverance, it, it takes Jonah back where he wants. And so uh, there, there's this idea that the way that God works oftentimes is these kind of disruptions that he places in our life. We know that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And as we lean into God, as we encounter God's presence in the midst of whatever we're going through, God has this way of just of, of working out these troubles, these things back into this, this deeper story of, of eternity that he's driving us towards this destination. God is pushing Jonah. God is transporting Jonah with this fish. Now, we understand this happens all the time where, where something that looks bad turns out to be good. This happens in the secular world. Uh, J.K. Rowling, who wrote uh, uh, Harry Potter, uh, my, my son Mike is reading through those right now. Uh, she gave this speech at this prestigious graduation at this prestigious college and talked about uh, her path to success in life. J.K. Rowling talked about how uh, she didn't kind of set out to be an author. She was actually, uh, you know, got married, was working a job. Her marriage fell apart. Uh, she failed at her job. Uh, she was a single mother. And she was living basically like at the poverty line in England, like as poor as you can get, and just started writing. And as they were, she was kind of explaining her success as an author, she said, the reason I was successful at writing was because I failed at all these other things, and I found my true calling. This is like the secular like, perspective that all of it ended up working out in her favor. Now she's this famous author that wrote the Harry Potter, created you know, Harry Potter land, all this kind of stuff that comes from, from her. Think about how much more it is with God, that there's this God that is with us in the midst of all the different things that we go through, who's, who's working things towards our good, that is, that is using all of our experiences, our brokenness, the things that fail, the things that don't work out directing us in a path where he says, I love you, I, I, I desire this, this, this plan for you, I have a calling for your life. And he recklessly pursues Jonah into the ocean with his storm, with his fish, and he's working out circumstances to push Jonah back to where he wants him to go. The will, the, the fish becomes transportation. And finally, the fish becomes this private place to commune with God. And what's interesting is, is Jonah's prayer in this passage. It's the first time he responds to God since God speaks to him in verse 1 of chapter 1. This is four scenes later. And finally, Jonah is available to communicate with God. Finally, after everything that has happened, he responds to God. The whale becomes this, this place where the distractions are limited. And he can have this communion with God where he prays to God. And we find that in the midst of this prayer, we see him being grateful for the things that God has done. We see him repenting of the things that he has done. We see him re-kind of committing to this calling that God has given him because of the privacy of the whale, of the fish. In our own lives, how hard is that to do, to, to be able to stop and to, to turn off social media, to unplug, to spend time in prayer. This fish that looks like punishment or disruption becomes the place 
where Jonah can commune with God. In the midst of everything that we're going through right now, are we able to stop, to slow down, to experience God in ways that are deep, fulfilling, life-giving? For Jonah, the fish in this story isn't punishment, it's deliverance. God gets a hold of Jonah. Jonah gets back on the path where God has him going. Then there's the prayer. The prayer from the fish. This is the prayer that I think is so important for us this year. Uh, a couple of things. One is that this prayer is a witness as a psalm that reminds us that in desperate situations, in the type of situations where you feel like you've lost your son on the beach, in desperate situations, the one thing that we can do is pray. The one thing that we can do is commune with God, to cry out to him. Prayer in the midst of everything that we're going through in 2020. Of all the things that we aren't able to do as a church, the thing that we can continue to do is pray and abide in Jesus. As you look through this prayer, not only is Jonah praying, but he's quoting scripture. He quotes seven psalms throughout this prayer. He's reciting scripture in this prayer. You might say, like, well, Jonah, he's, you know, he's almost like plagiarizing the prayer. He's taking the psalms and he's putting them into his prayers to God in the midst of his fish. Reciting scripture after scripture, seven different psalms he recites in Jonah chapter 2, which tells us not only do we pray, but we're, we pray this God's word that is, that uh, the psalmist says, hidden in our heart that we may not sin against God. Praying scripture. Because what happens is in the midst of crisis, our minds go crazy. I think Satan plays with his lies in our minds. We believe all sorts of different things. And what scripture does is it grounds us in God's truth. And as we pray, we're filling our minds not with all the scary outcomes of life, but with God's promises. Jonah prays seven psalms, memorizing scripture, praying through scripture in the midst of our disruption. And then there's kind of three phrases that he prays that I think are just so powerful. The first is this. He says, you listened to my cry, God. I called to you and you listened to my cry. How assuring is that? In the midst of everything that we go through, when we cry out to God, when we lament to God, when we cry out our doubts and our fears and our distress, God listens. Jonah says, you've listened to my cry. And what's wild is that God has every reason not to listen to Jonah because Jonah's in the situation because he didn't listen to God. God said to do this, and he not only didn't respond, he ran the exact opposite way. And even though God has every reason not to listen to Jonah, because Jonah didn't listen to God, God listens to Jonah. Our God is faithful even when we're not. You want to know what this loving God is like? He listens to Jonah who hasn't listened to him. Then it says, you brought my life up from the pit. You have given me life. You've brought me up from the pit. And again, God has every reason to not do this. Like it could be like Jonah, you know, he runs from God. He ends up in this storm. He gets eaten by the fish. Story over, right? There's the lesson. Don't run from God. But God pursues Jonah, and God lifts him from the pit of despair. In the New Testament, some of the writers talk about the character of God, and they say things like, while we are sinners, Christ loved us. While we were broken, undeserving. God loved us. And what we see here is, is grace. This is a story not of just of severe mercy, but of divine grace for Jonah. 
you've lifted, you've lifted my life. You've brought me out from the pit. And then finally, this last phrase is that salvation comes from the Lord. Jonah says, that, this whale is my deliverance. I, have, I, I, I didn't drown. God provided something. Salvation comes from the Lord. If you want to kind of like summarize maybe all of Scripture, this is a phrase you see throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. Salvation comes from the Lord. It's actually, a, it's kind of a, a Hebrew pun. If you look at it in the Hebrew, it's uh, Yeshuata Lewahe. It's hard to say, Yeshuata Lewahe. It, it almost has like this cadence to it, but it, it means, Yeshua means this deliverance, salvation comes from God. Salvation comes from the Lord, and Jonah experiences that in this fish. Even though he didn't deserve it, God has provided salvation for him. It's interesting in uh, Matthew chapter 1, when we get to the story of Jesus, when Gabriel shows up and he tells Mary and Joseph, here's what's going to happen. It says in verse 20, after Joseph had considered all the angel had told Mary, all the angel had told Joseph. It says, the Lord appears to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Yeshua, Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. Yeshua, deliverance, salvation. There's this echo of the story of Jonah in the very identity of Jesus. In the New Testament, they're saying God's going to save through his son, Yeshua. Deliverance comes from God. Later on in Jesus' life in Matthew chapter 12, some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation ask for a sign, but none will be given except a sign of the prophet Jonah. For Jonah... For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching, preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. There's this connection that the New Testament writers are telling us to the life of Jesus where he's saying the salvation that came for Jonah, when he didn't deserve it, when he ran from God, when the storm came, when he was drowning, God provides salvation through this fish. Deliverance comes from the Lord. And now one greater than that has come. One greater than Jonah. The sign that we had in Jonah is now being fulfilled through Jesus. And all of the things that we have done that have run from God, that have created this brokenness in this world that we live in, we're being delivered through Jesus, Yeshua Salvation comes from the Lord. What we find in this prayer also is finally this confession where, where Jonah says people turn to all sorts of different things to find life, to find fulfillment, to try to find salvation. Salvation comes from the Lord, and I will fulfill my vow. I will re renew my vow with God, which I think is important for us is this, this idea of confession. Here's kind of four things that Jonah confesses and something for us to consider as we pray this prayer. I recognize your hand at work, God, in the midst of everything that's going on right now. That's hard to do. 2020 is crazy and wild and confusing. But to recognize that God is working, that God is at work. Verse 6 says, I turn my eyes back to you. 
I turn my eyes back to the Lord in the midst of everything else that is going on. We fix our eyes on Jesus. I thank you for your compassions, gratefulness. Gratefulness in the midst of all the things that we could point out that are wrong in the world right now, the goodness of God in our lives. And I renew my commitment to you. And maybe today that's a, a thing that you need to do is just to say, Lord, I just renew this commitment to you. Maybe it's something you've never done before. This commitment to God, this relationship with God. We're going to end with a, a time of just worship and prayer. And I want to read this prayer one more time. When it comes to 2020, let this be our prayer this year. Jonah says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, to the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. And all your waves and breakers swept over me, and I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful for these ancient words. That remind us, Lord, that you pursue us. That you recklessly love us. Lord, reminded that you don't give up on Jonah. You listen even when he doesn't listen to you. You offer grace even as he ran away. Lord, in the midst of this crazy season, I just ask that we would experience your grace and goodness. As the fish was deliverance, Lord, in the ways that we just are beat up, tired, exhausted, suffering. We'll find something redemptive in this year to know that you are working in our lives. It doesn't mean that it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's okay, but it means that you are at work. May 2020 be a year, Lord, where we look back and say we just had a, a, a transcendent encounter with the living God. That God got a hold of our hearts. You shaped us. You formed us to be more like you. Lord, we ask for grace for everyone today that's carrying heavy weights, that's burdened, that we'd experience just the refreshment that comes from your presence. In your sons and we pray.